Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host, Simon Berman, General President of the Brush Builders Union, and this month I'm joined by John Cleves, who is the CEO and Creative Director of uh, DGS Games. Is that your title? I'd say Lead Designer. Lead Welcome Designer? Back. Cool. Yep. Yeah, and uh, DGS Games, as you may know, you may know them as they've been making uh, Freeblades, which is been a skirmish game coming out for quite a few years now. It's been kind of slowly but steadily going on out there, and uh, I finally picked them up at Adepticon, and I was built really cool figures. So I want to talk to you all about it, John. Awesome. Cool, man. So uh, tell me about yourself. You know, how'd you get into gaming? How'd you end up becoming a game company uh, owner and lead designer? Ooh, uh, okay. <laughs> so there's a there's a lot of history there, but the short version is that um, uh, I became a gamer as a as a kid. I was um, uh, I'm big into maps. I've always been big into maps, so I became a board gamer first, old school, you know, 1970s, 1980s, um, you know, with a hexag- uh, hexagonal grid and yeah. uh, board counters. You know, real old school. Uh, I got into that that way. Um, didn't become a miniatures gamer until later. Uh, I really didn't, I really don't have a huge amount of artistic skill personally. Uh, I think I can recognize it in others, but it's hard for me to generate it myself. Sure. So, uh, but I had a friend who really wanted me to get into miniatures beyond just joining other people's games and was very patient, taught me the basics, uh, and really showed me how to, um, you know, get into it and do it affordably and, and, and paint at least the units I was going to play with, et cetera. So uh, sometime later, I became a miniatures gamer. And then as far as uh, being part of a company, um, throughout the, um, I don't know, 90s and uh, uh, very early 2000s, I did a lot of freelance playtest work for some other companies along with some friends of mine. And one day just sitting around, um, you know, uh, gaming and having some, you know, just some social time, we discuss the idea of, hey, you know, uh, instead of doing this for other people, why don't we, why don't we do it for ourselves? And so, uh, the idea was born to kind of put something together where it was um, our world, our creative effort, our game mechanics, uh, and no longer, uh, you know, working on somebody else's behalf. Those relationships are great; they taught me a lot, you know. But it was, it's nice to be doing your own thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of how um, uh, Freeblades and the world of Phalon came about. Now you've got a role-playing game coming out for that as well. You're all sort of supported on Patreon and stuff as well. Is that true? Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, Freeblades, the, these are all set in our fantasy world of Phalon. Um, and we decided the original crew, uh, the, the company's basically been through a history of like a phase one, phase two. There was a group of people that, that formed it first. Um that became not necessarily what they all wanted to do together. So a new group of people kind of took over in uh, 2017 ish. I'd have to look at the actual years, but sure. Um, so, but the original group decided to make a fantasy game first. We could have done anything. Fantasy was what we decided to do. Um, I had a, the, the skeleton, the framework of a world from my old role-playing world as a, as a teenager and as a college kid. Um, and we didn't have to start from scratch. So we started with that and we've just been building on it ever since. That's cool. So yeah. uh, Freeblades was, was that, that was the first game you guys did in the world of Phalon. Yes. Right. Yeah. So when did, did you start with that? Cause I feel like you've been out there for a while now. 
Uh, we released it. The original group of people released it in 2012. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, yeah, I, I remember seeing you at some of those early shows, and you know how your boots kind of grown over the years. It's very impressive these days. Yeah, it's it's cool to... yeah we're not we're not the biggest company in the world, but you also can't kill us because people have tried. So you know, yeah, uh, we're, we're the great survivors. You know, um, uh, so uh, and the group of people, uh, both groups of people. I'm the only person that was in both groups. Um, all friends, all great people. The original crew are still friends, even though it's not what they're doing anymore. They've all moved on to other things. Yeah. But the, the people I work with now in DGS are just fantastic. We, That's great. Everybody gets along, you know. So anyway, you asked, you asked me about the role-playing game. Um, Free Blades is a, a miniatures, tabletop miniatures skirmish game. Uh, Bright Sword is our role-playing game. Um, and we are going to release that as a living rule book in the same style we've done Free Blades on 1 October. Very cool. Um, the Patreon part of that is we're not going to release content as uh, separate books that you buy. You're going to get content as part of your Patreon subscription. That's cool. Because um, we don't want to keep making people buy stuff and then have a new edition and make them buy it again. And we want the we want the world to be a collaborative effort amongst people that are really interested in it. And um, have the content come to them automatically without having to do a lot of extra work. So sure. a, little a little bit different model, although, you know, other companies out there are doing subscription-based things uh, as well. It's not just us. But oh, Very cool. So well, actually, let's get back to the kind of basics. Tell me about the world of Phalon um, and, you know, what makes that a compelling and interesting uh, fantasy world to be playing skirmish games and RPGs in. We'll talk more about both of those later, but I'd love to hear about the world itself. Okay, so the world is, um, the core ideas behind the world are uh, humans are monster enough. So we are we are all, you know, products of our own experiences. We all grew up playing, you know, D&D and Pathfinder and, and a lot of these other games. But if you, um, if you start where fantastical creatures are common, growing your story becomes challenging as you constantly have to outdo yourself. If you start where uh, politics and religion and those kinds of challenges, uh, conflicts between nations um, and the fantastical creature is rare, you get a couple things that you can take advantage of. One is you've got a lot more room to play going forward. And uh, if a fantastical creature is rare, when it shows up, the impact is greater. Sure. And so the nations of Phalon have recognizable Earth analogs in their background. They're not perfect copies, but you can you can kind of get a feel for who's who compared to their, you know, their um, their creative uh, source um, very quickly as you start to learn about the world. And what we want is or where our goal is, is for players to you know, latch on with an identification. I see myself as this character, part of this country, this organization, mm -hmm. um, and get really grounded in that. And uh, um, possibly even more directly, depending on what level of subscriber they are, but, um, you know, see themselves as, as a member of that world and, and acting within it. Uh, it's easier if the more relatable the characters are. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's the theory. Uh, seems to be working okay, you know, but uh, we, we, we're not perfect. So we're always looking for opportunities to get smarter about that and 
and uh, do bigger and better things. Sure. Uh, one of the things that really appealed to me is, uh, is well, as a war gamer, I'm a sucker for a starter set, and I think you, you have something like 15 starter sets for 15 different factions. Yeah, so, um, uh, yes. So you can get into the Free Blades game fairly quickly. All the starter boxes are, what's the equivalent? 150 gold is our 150 points. You know, it's mm -hmm. our smallest level you play the game normally. Um, and so there's a, a very easy way to grab one of these boxes and instantly be in the game because the core rule books, you know, there's a living rule book, it's only $10. <clears throat> and sometimes if you experience us through a convention or other event, uh, you can even get beyond that because generally people who take a demonstration game or some other uh, promotion can get that for free. And yeah, I, I got that at Adepticon. That was very right? cool. And once you have it, you get all the updates for free. So you never buy another, you never buy the core rulebooks upgrades. It's just dumped in your account when the time comes. Yeah, I thought that was very cool. Oh, uh, yeah. I, oh, good. Don't we? Well, we don't have a we don't have a particular limit on. It's a lot of factions, you know, uh, compared to some um, backgrounds, uh, but not to others. You know, so sure. Um, we want to give more more places for people to relate to rather than take a, a faction and go super, super deep and just keep piling models on it. Yeah. No, that's very cool. I, I picked up two myself. I got the, um, the Trillion Seekers, if I, if I pronounce that right, and uh, the Shakrim Waystalkers. Yep. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, very cool. I, I like that, you know, you kind of got, got these sort of traditional wood elf guys and then i've also got my my weird snake dudes i think it's 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 super cool i like that they both sort of exist in in a realistic way in the same world right um awesome but uh yeah with, with all these factions you know it's great because you know whenever i get into really into a new setting or something i, I like being able to like kind of look through it and see where i'm going to enter that world and all the factions you know there, there really doesn't seem to be a lot of a lot of sameness between them which sometimes is something you run into and with games with too many factions especially i think with some mech games and so forth where they're all kind of samey but all of your factions seem very alive and very different um and i was curious you know what kind of you, you said you kind of base them on real world um you know influences and so forth um so is, is there a particular way you go about making new ones or is it because you need them for the story or just like i have a cool idea for i want to see some knights or i want to see some snake men well it's a combination. The uh, the original uh, 14 factions, when we first built the world, came from a combination of um, Earth analogs and our take on traditional fantasy elements that people we know people want to see, right? So we have, a, like you said, trillions. They're not wood elves, but they are wood elves, you know? Sure. They have a different story uh, than the traditional wood elf you might encounter in other settings. Um, and we're going to be exploring that more and more as time goes forward, you know, what their origin is, but they don't, they don't live forever. Um, they don't, um, uh, you know, they're, they're susceptible to disease and, and, uh, other things like, you know, you and I are, um, but they live in the, they, the core part of the realm lives in the woods, uses longbows, dresses in, a camouflage clothing that incorporates leaf patterns. I mean, people that resonates with people. So they were yeah. looking for that when they come into a fantasy game. So it's our take on that kind of traditional structure. Uh, we've got a couple of those um, like the chakram, you know, which are snake lizard people. 
their origin is different. It's tied just to our world. doesn't come from somebody else's story. And then the nations that are more human, quote unquote, come from um, uh, just spring from a source that is two or three different earth analogs kind of put together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the Trazerite empire has a lot of creative sourcing from the Roman empire, but not entirely because the Romans didn't ride dinosaurs into battle. Right. So, <laughs> you, know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you see it and you get a, you get a legion, you get an emperor, you get those kinds of things, but you also get this, uh, uh, element that is unique to fail on to go with it. You know? Um, yeah. You know, and one of the things I like, you kind of mentioned earlier, how, you know, you have sort of your, your grounded fantasy, um, you know, humans and so forth as, as your baseline, but then, you know, you can add a little bit of flavor here and there. Like, um, I'm looking at the, the Black Rose Bandits. I think it's very cool. They're, you know, they're a bunch of maybe, I don't know, maybe I could be wrong, but it's sort of, you know, um, Robin Hood style bandit guys, but they've got a, a shackering lizard man who hangs out with them. And I think it's, I, I love that kind of interaction between uh, the races in a world within a setting itself. Right. And they'll have different natures too. Be, there will be more, like the Trazerite Empire is very, um, I don't know what the right word is, but very, very more homogenous than other factions. You know, what you would find in a Trazerite free band, they would not be necessarily accepting of other people's working together as, as an adventuring party. Whereas, you know, some of these other um, uh, cultures would be way more open to that. And so... Some of them are very homogenous, and some of them got a lot of mixture, like the bandits do. And it, it, it's tied to their it's tied to their background story, you know, in a lot of cases. That's cool. uh, why that is. So, if, if I want to read about the backgrounds of the of the uh, your factions and your, your your heroes and stuff, is, is that in the rule book, or do you go somewhere else for that? You have to go somewhere else. So, the uh, the whole world is loaded into a online platform called World Anvil. Okay. Okay. Uh, and yet nobody has to memorize what I'm about to say. There's a there's a tab called World of Phalon on our website that tells you everything I'm about to say. You don't have to memorize it. Sure. And we'll link it in the show notes if you're listening too. So awesome. Thank easy, you. Easy to find. Yeah. So we go to the World of Phalon tab. tells you how to do what I'm about to say. But this World Anvil platform basically allows you to create a relational database for world builders like us. And so we've loaded everything about the World of Phalon into that platform. And all of the basics, like what is the basic story of the Kingdom of Falcar or um, the League of Thorminal or these other, you know, the Realm of Trillius, uh, the Isles of the Chakram. Um, but other pieces of information are tied to access given to you by your your Patreon subscription. Gotcha. Uh, so, but, but everything you want to know about, like just teach me about what these, what these folks' general backstory is, is open to the public. And then a person can decide how much more they want to get into up until where they're, you know, the world builder level, you are creatively partnering with us to change part of the world, you know, to put your own creative touch on some piece of the world. Oh, very cool. So yeah. your world is sort of is growing and, and living then. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very cool. So uh, what, what does that look like? And how, how does the world get updated, you know, in terms of like, are we seeing, you know, wars between factions? Are we seeing new factions arising? You know, what, what's what happens so, in the world? Yeah. So we're doing where we, we spent the uh, um, the COVID years, we'll call them, right? Uh-huh. Getting the basic content onto the platform. And what we're about to do is start moving time forward. You know, what, what's in there right now is based on a particular year 
There's a calendar that shows you what the past is and it sets you in what current time is, but it's not moving forward yet. And that's about to start happening where, you know, okay, right now we know who all the kings and queens are and emperors and empresses and all the leaders and what all the factions of uh, the factions are nations and not like, you know, transnational organizations or bandit groups or whatever, what their borders are, you know, um, what their relationships are with their, with their neighbors. And then we're going to, there's a conflict coming and we're Uh going to start telling that story and moving the, moving the story forward in time. That's Um, cool. It seems like it's a really good time to maybe get in on the ground floor of that. that It's it's probably the best time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's very cool. Um, so we talked a lot about the world building, but I want to hear what, what is the gameplay like just in general? So I don't, I don't need to tell me every mechanic, but you know, is it, is it skirmish? Um, is it cinematic? Is it, is it all rules heavy? What, what, what's it like if I, if I actually play the game? Um, it is, uh, we are, what we sought to do, others will have to decide whether we got there or not, but what we sought to do is create a mechanic that was, um, complementary to storytelling, right? Uh, so the way the the way the basic mechanic in all these games, you know, our role playing game, the currently published uh, skirmish game, the upcoming battle game, you know, the board game we're making in the background, um, all use the same core mechanic, and that is things you're trying to achieve or a target number set by the game system, and you roll a die in order to achieve that target number to get success. The better you are, the bigger the die. We're not the first people to do that. You know, it's not something we're earth shattering. We have some die sizes that are atypical. Um, They're not found in other games. And we also explode those dice. So if you roll a top number on a die, you get to keep rolling and adding it together. That's and cool. what these things do together is create some pretty epic results uh, in the course of a turn of the skirmish game or uh, during the gameplay of the role-playing game that, you know, just the just the action of what happened with that particular mechanic leads to some things that are just so memorable. You you want to run around and tell all your friends, "Oh my, you wouldn't believe what happened last night." I, you know, I gave out this hit and it shook the world and sure you know, cast a spell and wasted a city or did whatever. And so, um, but it's de- it's designed to be something where you're you're going to leave that event with a story to tell. Very um, cool. Yeah. So and um. How many models on a, on a on a side of skirmish are we talking? Five models? Are we talking twelve models? And it's kind of skirmish is kind of ambiguous these days. I feel like no, very much so. Yeah. So skirmish used to mean that um, a model represented one beam. So right. if you're playing these larger old school historical games, one model is ten guys, one model is a hundred soldiers, yeah. whatever. Uh, but now you kind of use it. You know, you sling the term around, like you said. Uh, so free blades is played typically between six and eighteen models. Okay. At about 150 gold um, is around six. Most of the starter boxes are six. Uh, and after you've played the camp a campaign for a while, um, you could get up to 18's the cap, and it would take a, a pretty extended campaign of multiple turns, uh, which means multiple games, right? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe 10, uh, 12 games to get to where you're you're reaching that 18 level and can sustain it. Uh, the tournaments we play are somewhere around 250, 275. Um, the nationals this year is at 275. That's going to be typically around 12 models. Right on. Uh, somewhere in that ballpark. And that really depends. Some are more hoardy, you know, with more inexpensive followers. 
the shamblers of the Kandorans, which are our zombies, are very inexpensive. Sure. Um, uh, some of the muster troops for the Herodellans are kind of medieval French analog. It's not entirely that way, but that's the start point. You know, the uh-huh. are fairly inexpensive. You can get higher numbers and you get some really expensive troops like Trasrite Legionnaires and have less. But it's going to be in that ballpark. Of gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. How big is a board? Four by four. Four by four. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and as far as terrain and stuff, is it a terrain heavy game? Is it, do you like, do you have big open fields? What, what, what kind of um, environments do you play on? I think typically we're, we're talking about, we don't, we don't tell anybody exactly how to do that. Um, people's terrain, you know, inventories, personal and their game store and whatever are, are pretty widely varied. Sure. Uh, we did originally have in the core rule book a lot of guidance about how to put terrain down and, and players just didn't respond well to it. So we took it out. And that's that's who we are. I mean, we're constantly engaging our players. Well, do you like this? Do you hate this? You know? Yeah. So um, but I would say a table is going to have maybe 25 percent of a third coverage. OK. Uh, terrain features make sense. Um, so. That would support your, you know, your typical scenario out of the rule book, and mm-hmm. be totally reasonable for gameplay. So, cool. And is terrain a big part of the game, or is it just sort of obstacles? Um, I guess the simple answer is it's it's more obstacles. It's more uh, the game can get very tactical, like we like to say. It's yeah, easy to learn and hard to master. And so, sure, uh, that's our goal, right? Um, and. Uh, if you are, you know, a small hedge that reduces you to your normal speed instead of allowing you to run double speed, uh, doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal, you know. Because sure, if yeah. And if you're a player who has a, a model that has some rule that allows it to ignore that, like a free runner model that can leap over a wall at no cost to their movement, then you have tactical opportunities. Maybe your opponent does not. Makes so sense. It's very, very simple. You know, you don't need some big... Uh, giant fortress wall to produce that great from the game yeah that's cool so um it's kind of expanding on that is is the game scenario based or is it or is it a kill them all like you know how how do you actually play the game well free blades you play scenario based and there's there's 28 scenarios in the rule book oh wow organized into two groups every time not every time we update it but probably every other time we update it we add some um but uh this last expansion added four, and so you know those have not all been played through, and they're, they're divided into two groups, uh, which which are called standard and club. The club scenarios are called that generally because they require to do it exactly like the scenario describes some element it more likely to be had by a group of people. You know your game sure. club, your game store. So, like the, uh, um, you know the. Uh, the into the ruins scenario needs a bunch of ruins and creatures that are coming out of the ruins. And if you play like multiple of these in one evening, several tables are going to need multiples of these creatures. You're going to need some resources that not necessarily everybody's going to have. Sure. So kind of let you know that in advance. So you don't start to play the game and only oh, yeah, I need a bunch of, um, you know, I need a bunch of empty bases to represent right. these creatures. Cause I didn't realize how many I needed. Yeah. Yeah. And the 14 standard scenarios don't require a lot of extra resources and are, uh, as balanced as we can make them for competitive play. Right. Um, so that a player can just walk into a tournament and expect to find each round is one of those 14. Right. Right. 
Uh, but they are all, or mostly all, ad adventure-based. There's some non-kill-em-all objective to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. you're, you're closing a witch gate demons are coming out of, you're, you're hunting for the treasure, you're rescuing the prisoner, you're killing the beast that's terrorizing the countryside. There's some, there's some element of the scenario besides just go over there and take as many points from the other players you can. Right. You know, in fact, none of them, well, excuse me, one of them is that uh, out of the 14, which mm -hmm. is really out of the 28 because the club scenarios don't have that. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them are gain control of the center objective with some extra kind of considerations. But most of them are there's some task you've got to accomplish. <clears throat> now, of course, the other player is not, wants to accomplish that same task without letting you do it first. You know, that's right. where it comes from. But we, you get more of a role-playing adventure feel than a military combat. Sure. And that's coming in our, our battle game. So we didn't want that in our, in our skirmish. So, oh, you're, you're doing, you've got a battle game coming out. Mm -hmm. We're play testing a game where you see these, these a free blades, a, a mercenary, a, a adventurer for hire. Mm -hmm. Right. They have a patron, patron gathers up a group of them. You're your classic role-playing group. Yeah. Right. Leader, a caster, some number of heroes, some number of followers. Mm -hmm. um, captains of Phalon, the battle game, is a military unit uh, fighting another military unit in a battle. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, will, will your free blade models be able to be used in that game? 100%. Not only that, you'll be able to uh, play, like, let's say, a free blades campaign increase the skills of your free blades character um, convert those points into captains very quickly and easily and use that as the leader of your company in a captain's game if you want oh that's awesome you can also do that exactly what i just said into and out of the role-playing game oh wow and so it's, it's sort of a whole ecosystem of games that can all be played together we want you to experience fail on any ways that you want to experience it wow that's super ambitious i love it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. About that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot of work. No. Um, so I, I, we may get back to the, the, the upcoming battle game a little bit later, but I, I want to talk a little bit about your campaign system for Freeblades because I, I love skirmish campaigns. It's probably my favorite way to, to play miniatures gaming. So I'd yeah. like to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, so and we're and we're actually very proud of it um, because uh, we're all old campaign skirmish players ourselves. And there are, it's been done well and not done, you know, done not so well out there. And one of the big differences is, uh, and you've probably experienced exactly what I'm about to say, but you've, you're in a campaign with your friends and somebody suffers some early, uh, you know, misfortunes and their war band army, whatever you want to call it, their squad is not doing so well and it's hard for them to recover. So they drop out of the campaign because sure. they're, getting, they're getting beat. Yeah. So we put all of our muscle into uh, a handicap system to make it worth it to stay with it if you have some early losses. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, we were inspired by, you know, some successes other people had had. You know, all, all game designers are always looking at the state of the art, you know, what oh, works of course. and what works. <clears throat> and so, um, and we're very proud of it. You know, we're, we're, we're very pleased with how it works. The good things the players have said, the campaigns that have had, uh, you know, 10, 12, as many as 20 people in the campaign and had almost no or no dropouts. Wow. In the course of the campaign, because you feel like you still have a chance because of um, 
the way the, the uh, uh, handicap system works. That's um, very cool. Yeah. So you go down, basically, the simple version is you look at your opponent and you see a, a big difference between your two free band values. And the rule book gives you a number of ways to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you choose the one that works best for your group and it gives you an ability to play that game, even though you're, if you just sat down and played it with your disparate values, you'd, you'd be walking uphill, you know, right. uh, changes that for you so that you can, um, you can have a chance to be, have a fighting chance to be in that game and get things out of playing it, get sure. you having stuck with it and played it. So. Can you maybe give an example of, of how you, how you handle address that handicap? Sure. Yeah. So um, the first thing is we uh, we assign one one choice. Of course, is that you could have your the player that's got a higher value play your value. You know, okay. Leave a number of models on the bench for that game and just match the the player's value who's got uh, you know uh, less points. You know, uh, going forward. Right. Uh, that's that's uh, tricky. Um, if you do that, you've got your really skilled up uh, characters. So you're probably going to have less feet on the ground when you go into the game. Uh, if, you know, we come in there and I've got 200 points and you've got 300 points, probably the difference isn't a, a lot in models. It's that your models are skilled up because of survival value. Yeah. So if you play 200, you leave some of your models off and you keep your super skilled up heroes. So you're going to have less, you know, coverage of a table. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of work with that, but that becomes a challenge. And you're the, sure, you're yeah. the one with the higher free band value. Take the challenge on. Um, there's also uh, instead you leave it in place, and there are things that you can take on as the player with the lesser value to add to your force that kind of catch you up most of the way, not a hundred percent of the way, because the person who's been winning ought to get some. You know, yeah. if we come up perfectly every game, why, why am I why am I winning every time? Right, I yeah. yeah. So catch you up most of the way, not all the way, and. <clears throat> If you're the player that takes on a game where you've got a, a, a difference in value between you and your opponent, where your opponent's higher, you get experience points or adventure points, experience points to most people, um, based on that difference. So just by playing the game, you're going to come out of that with a bunch of experience that you can assign to your characters that you wouldn't have gotten if we were dead even. Right. Very cool. So it kind of lets you get caught up a little bit. Yep, that's right. So you go into the game after that one, and you've you've gained some ground back, you know. Yeah, um, and that's there's some there's some of our players. One of the members of our team, you know, when she plays in a campaign, always looks for somebody with a higher free band value because she wants the extra adventure. Yeah, sure. You know, so <laughs> she's looking for somebody who's done a little better in the previous games. That's cool. Actually, here's a question. So, what are the bad things that can happen to your characters? Obviously, your cards going to get XP and equipment and gold and stuff like in, in most yep. classic campaigns, I imagine, but. Do they take wounds? Do they take serious stat bon- uh, penalties? Like what happens to them? Yeah, they can both those things. They they can they can die. Um, uh, it's not so when we, when a when a uh, model in free blades loses all of its life points, we call that dropped. You won't know okay. its ultimate outcome, <clears throat> which is basically like incapacitated, right? Wounded to the point of being incapacitated. When the game is over, that model rolls on the casualty table. Uh, the very low end of that table is death, you know? So sure. um, we're kind of with the philosophy if there's zero risk, there's zero tension, you know? So there's some, and there's ways around that. You can, uh, you can come into that role with re-rolls. You can have, there's a couple of talents out there that mitigate that, but you are at risk, right? 
Um, then there's a set of results on that table that are injuries to that model. They might be inconsequential to you because they're not hurting anything you do with that model. And they might be devastating because that model has a certain role and that injury really kept it from yeah. performing that. Um, you can retire models, get part of their gold value back. They go off to, you know, teach at the university or with their retirement. Uh-huh. Or whatever, you know? yes. so, um, so, uh, um, and you get, you get part of that value back into your treasury, you know? And so you do have, uh, the, the chance of having, um, some, some injuries to your models, uh, that linger or lose the model altogether. Um, as part of the results of the campaign game. No. That's cool. So um, if we're playing a campaign, what, what is what is the overall arc of the campaign? How, do, how does the campaign begin and how does it end? And what, what, what's, what, is, what determines victory in a campaign? Who wins it? Well, there's, that's a bunch of, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. We have published campaigns on World Anvil for people to use that are, they got a lot of story to them that can also be role-playing campaigns for Brightsword. Oh, cool. Um, and we're going to be writing more of those now that the role-playing rulebook is out with some more detail to them. So that you could string those scenes together and make a free blades campaign out of it if you wanted to, instead of a role playing campaign. Very cool. Um, there's also a third way to play. Uh, it's called free blades encounters, where you don't play the role playing game. You play the skirmish game, but you play with each player is two characters and they are on the same team. They're in the same free band, and a game master sets their scenarios every week. Oh, really? That's that's very yeah. cool. So it's basically cooperative free blades. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've done, you know, all three types of campaigns um, and we are going to be giving our players more and more of those. There's a couple of introductory ones that are on World Anvil that um, anybody can get access to. Uh, the ones that are published where there's restricted access for the subscribers, the lowest level of access will always be able to see the intro to decide if that's something they like. And the next level up is generally geared towards game master type people. Uh-huh. People are interested in the lore to that level and are the ones who are running campaigns for their groups that gives them all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Sure. So it's basically that level is behind-the-GM screen type information. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and and players are doing their own. You know, we get a couple of campaigns out there people get their hands on that players wrote. Yeah, that's great. So, which we highly encourage. You know, cool. So, so if, you, if you want to run a Freeblades campaign, does one person kind of needs to GM it to a certain degree, but can they play in it as well? Yes. Yes to yes to both. I think I think the last campaign I played in, um, it was an encounters campaign, so we were all on the same team. The game master recruited a couple of players to help him uh, play the villains. Right, he mm-hmm. wrote the story. He had uh, a couple of players play the villains, and when we actually met them on the in the encounter space, you know, um, but all of us were cooperating together. Um, you, it just the thing is, is it's a toolkit. We want you to be able to do it any way you want. If you want sure. to have a, one person write the campaign and then jump into the games, also good. You know, uh, we wouldn't want to. We wouldn't want to dictate that. You know, yeah, of course. Help, we want to help whatever the player wants to do. It's it. That's cool. And for the more sort of PvP-based traditional skirmish campaigns, are you, are you fighting over territory or resources or? Well, um, the last one we did that was like that. Um, we had a, there was a map based campaign. The map is available. The map of the world is available on World Anvil to use for that purpose. Um, and it was divided into regions and you were searching for someone. Um, 
And every time you you won a game, you acquired the space the game was played in. And at the end, what percent of the game space you had control over uh, was your your piece of the die roll to determine whether you found that person because you had explored more space that they might be in. So mm-hmm. winning winning was finding the the profit. Gotcha. P R O P H E T, not. Right. It's always good to find profit. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a seer who was going to who was going to talk about the uh, about future events, and all the patrons wanted to get their hands on this person because they had the the gift of vision. That was the story. And where they were was going to was randomly you know hiding out in the countryside. So the more countryside you had control over, the more likely you would be the one to find them. Gotcha. <clears throat> Super cool. So uh, let's talk about the role playing game a little bit. Um, how exactly you know, is it a traditional like Dungeons and Dragons style character based role playing game? Or are you more narrative based? You know what what is a character sheet and what does that kind of gameplay look like for? Uh... Yeah, we we um, <clears throat> our philosophy is that if you like mechanics and character sheets, your rules need to have them. If you uh-huh. want to do a narrative campaign, it doesn't hurt you that they're in there. Sure. So we wrote a game that, you know, gives you that and, and a game master can use as little or as much of that information as they want, um, you know, to kind of guide them uh, in their storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to do a narrative, a, a narrative game and you, and you build a narrative set of game rules and your players want character sheets and mechanics, you can't, you can't help them, you know? Right. So that's just our philosophy. One philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it does come with, Game mechanics. The other reason the game mechanics are in there for, you know, uh, how powerful you are and how skilled you are and what your talents are is because of that um, desire to be able to allow a player to move between games. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, melee attack rating of, of a D10 die, uh, the parry, the parry talent, the devices skill are the same in all these game systems. So if you do, if you create an adventurer in Bright Sword, the role-playing game, there's a way to determine how many, how, what the gold recruiting cost of that would be if you were a model in Freeblades. Sure. And vice versa. If you wanted to take your Freeblades model into a, into a Bright Sword campaign, there would be a way of determining how many adventure points, you know, experience points your, your character was, was starting out at. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so without, without the mechanics, we can't do that, right? Right, of course. No, so. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so in the role-playing game, would my group, if we're playing, would we be a group of Trillion Seekers, or might we be a group that has one guy who's a Trillion Seeker, one guy who's maybe a Chakram Wavestalker? Like, how does that get mixed up? Or Oh, that's uh, that's entirely up to the playgroup. Yeah, okay. it could be totally, yeah. So that's, a, the factions in the game are, have a, especially the ones that are based on nations, not organizations, are generally homogenous to that nation's, you know, ethnic makeup but a role-playing adventure group has no such requirement sure you could you could do it that way but generally players want to be more like the bandit you know uh, groups are they're not a nation right they're a group of people all working together the same goal that's why there's a chakram uh in the bandit starter box yeah no that's super cool so it, 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 a group of players in in um the role-playing game are they likely to be mercenaries as well, or might they be like, like what, what is the standard, or like, what is what do you imagine the basic idea of play looks like in the RPG? Yeah, so we and we give some guidance to that in the in the back of the rulebook for the for the game master, but in our story, adventuring is a common practice, 
where you are sent out working for a patron. So you sign a warrant with your patron. It's like a, it's like an old school letter of mark. Yeah. Right? A privateer. So you're basically land privateers that your boss says, go out and do these things for me. I'll give you some basic protections. This is our contract in terms of how you're going to get paid and executing the warrant is one arc of the story. Mm -hmm. Right. And so free blades are these adventurers for hire that group up and then have uh, they have names, you know, they have, uh, you know, the black rose is an example, you know, that bandit group. Um, and they go out and, and have, and we have patrons in the world of Phelan, you know, in our background that have uh, different natures come from different countries and provide their free bands with special rules, depending on what patron you take in a campaign. Uh-huh. Um, and so you kind of get in a, typically the campaign start out talking about, you know, which patron is sending you off to do this and what's the story there? Why are they, why are they interested in this task being complete? Sure. Um, the mirror of stars campaign on our, you know, in, in the world of Phelan is a good example. There's a particular patron wants a particular thing and you're going out and trying to, trying to find it for them, you know? Um, so we don't, <clears throat> we wouldn't expect a game master to be required to tell their story that way, but we gave them the tools for how a warrant gets written, you know, what the, how much they're honored, what are the rules for these things yeah. inside the framework of the, you know, um, like a mercenary contract in real life in, in earth history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, same kind of like, like a letter of Mark. Um, sure. And again, that's just sort of your basic like starting point. That isn't necessarily yeah. how every RPG would play out in your, in, right. in the world. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, an experienced game master, it's got to already get an idea in their head. You know, he or she's going to go out there and do whatever, you know, the warrant is to allow you a really easy kickoff point to say, okay, I'm going to give them this, this pretty, you know, linear tasks. They're going to go out and find this artifact or grab this person or do this task, whatever they're going to do. And um, I'm going to make them a deal. You know, I had a, uh, the, one of the playtest campaigns, the big one I just got done running 50 some sessions. Um, they basically circumnavigated the Northern continent uh, with a caravan and they were warranted to protect the caravan, but the caravan leader took them all over the map. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the adventurers were like, like uh, old school Star Trek. You know, it was a different. Yeah, thing. yeah. You know, every town they were in, or every every place they went, some more shenanigans occurred. Right. Um, so, but the 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 thread was that they were working for this guy and and uh, and protecting his caravan. And they had part of the warrant assigned them a couple of wagons so they could speculate on their own with their own goods. That's cool. Um, when they came into town, so that was part of it. Um, along with what they made. Sure. And so when your characters inevitably encounter um, conflict, you could move the, you could move it to a Freeblade system to play it out, or you could do it theater of the mind like a traditional role-playing game? Or And, well, yes. You could do it with Brightsword, which has all the extra detail. Right. You could do it Freeblades, which simplifies some things. I would typically do that when there were a number of villains. Sure. Right, a large number of villains. Um, you could just reduce it down to a, you know, essentially it's a free blades game to make it go a little quicker. Uh-huh. Uh, but if the, if the villains were like an equivalent party of souped up heroes, they, they would want it played out with all the bells and whistles. Sure. Know? Sure. Cause you're, um, you're getting more granular abilities yeah, and skills. Right. And weapons is and stuff, exactly right? The right word, yeah. Um, or you could do theater of the mind, you know, if it's a very simple, you kind of overpowered them, but you want to see whether they get away in a chase or, yeah. you know, um, 
that's really situational. But the good news is that all those tools are available to the game master. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So let's. I was going to um, the mass combat game. You know, we are we are looking for a certain feel. We are also creating a space so that we can do use that game system for other things like histor- uh-huh. historical game lore. Right. We wouldn't, you know, use an exact copy because right. it wouldn't fit. You know, uh, doing a Napoleon or or World War II wouldn't fit Phalon, but we don't want to box sure. ourselves into a corner. So the playtest is going to take a little longer to get all those elements where the core stuff is usable. Makes sense. Put it. Um, but it's going really well. It's a playable game. It's not like we're at, you know, ground zero. Uh, we're tweaking some of the factions. We're adding some, you know, new elements, but you could sit down and play. Very cool. And do you expect to be producing a line of miniatures to expand your uh, free laid stuff onto that? Yes. Awesome. And uh, and you'd be able to. So you'd get a you'd get a stat line for some models that we introduced that were specifically originally made for captains, but we'd never leave you hanging and not be able to play that model in free. Sure, and that's great. Versa. But you'll be able to find both in both. Very games. cool. And how big a, how big do you see the scope of uh, your mass combat game being? Um, I played a seven hundred fifty point um. Um, playtest game the other day, and I'd say I had, off the top of my head, I might have had okay. fifty models. Maybe I had some pretty expensive troops. I was a Trizrad Empire, so I had some fairly expensive troops, but it was in that ballpark between thirty okay. and fifty, probably close. Very cool. Game. And again, will that be on a four by four table or a bigger table for that game? Six by four. Six by, yeah, six by four. Cool. But you're gonna need a little bit. Yeah, that's we're looking to make it easy on people, so let's not pick something that's you know. Not available in a game. Sure. Store, yeah. No, I think everybody appreciates that. But you need that. You need a little bit more room to maneuver. Um, so when we put the game originally on four by four, it was a little constrained. We want sweeping cavalry attacks yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So six by four has been cool. a it, So it's it's unit based, I assume. So you're going to have a unit of what yep. five to 10, 20 guys. Um. Yeah. Line units are somewhere <laughs> six to eight. Yeah. So yes, they don't get a lot bigger. Some of the some of the, the more horde-like units get bigger than that, sure. but not 20. Well, that's cool. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and one thing I want to talk to you about before we, we go, I was I really, when I was going through your website, I really appreciate seeing your uh, diversity initiative section on the site. I think that's something we don't see too much of in gaming. Uh, it's getting better, but I, I really I really respect that you've, you've got that whole page that lays out what your values are. Yeah, yeah please do. That's what I want to hear about. It's really, it's really important to us. All right, so... Um, since the podcast, you can't see me. I'm an older white Same. male, right? Um, so we think we've done a really good job um, with representing women in our fantasy world. Okay, we get a lot of compliments about it. We're very focused on it. We don't do disproportionate body types. We don't do chain male bikinis. You know, other people can, sure. not judging them. It's just not our thing, right? Um, what we don't have um, specifically really laid out so it's very very relatable is just to use a term just to have something to talk about a faction mm-hmm. of color right something that a person of color can relate to that isn't tropish you know um your classic uh i'm going to be um the character looks african-american but my faction is we have grass skirts sure. and throw noses and all that crap can't stand it you know, my, my friends of color can't stand that, you know, and, and our branch of the hobby, the miniatures branch of the hobby has a lot of work to do. Right. So I could design a faction like that tomorrow, but I don't want to do that. 
I want somebody to do that with us um, who has more, you know, yeah. who's closer to it, who is, who is, you know, culturally, ethnically smarter about it, more, relates more to it, means, means a great deal to them. And we've taken on a partner uh, to do a faction, our first faction of color. They, you know, the factions in our world aren't all the same race. You know, the, some of them have green skin, some of them have a bronze skin. But what I mean is where you're, um, you can identify with this character because yeah. they look like you, you know. Um, and so James has come on board to, uh, James Levin has come on board to help us with that. And we're targeting, um, there's so much work to be done there yeah. to get it right, you know. And he's, uh, he's done such a great job of, of crafting their story. Uh, that we're probably we're not going to be able to do that in 2023. We're aiming for okay. 2024, um, but and then we're going to keep doing that, you know, for um, people that might still not see themselves in our world. We're going to keep finding places Very to cool. do that and and take on partners that can help us do it. So um, something that we all the, the team really yeah. wants to get after, you know, uh, there we're four men and two women, but we're all white, you know, and so. Let's change the world here, and uh, and partner with people uh, to give them yeah. a voice to do it. You know, that's really commendable. I'm I'm really impressed by everything you just said, and the, the stuff you have in the diversity initiatives on the page is great. Um, it really makes you want to be part of your community. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd like to be further along in sure. where we are. Um, COVID slammed us backwards yeah. a little bit, like it did everybody. Um, uh, we're happy to still be here. You know, we. We wrote a we wrote a keep the lights on plan when it sure. started, you know, um, and what we did was focus on content, and um, we just we really want to go into so much detail. This particular faction that James is helping us with isn't on our map. They are, they they are on an island continent off to the uh-huh. west of where our map is, and so there's a lot of rich detail that has to be done culturally. You know, uh, their religion, their their magic use, their look, you know. Um, but we're also super awesome. excited about it, you know. Uh, and we're just going to keep doing things like that until, you know, we're better than we're better than we've been as a hobby. I, I couldn't say it better. That, that's that's really great to hear, John. I think it's it's very cool of you to say that and have these these are the values behind your game and your company. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Well, I will let you go, John. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, if you're listening, please check out the links below. Check out Freeblades, all these other games that are coming out, um, and all the just super cool models you can get to play the game with. Yeah, my pleasure. And John, hopefully I'll see you again, and I'm sure I'll see you at Adepticon this year. Hopefully I'll bring, bring in some of my painted Freeblades to uh, play some events with you. Awesome. Please do that. I would, I would love to get in the game. That'd be great. The Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brushbuilders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.